My name is Jenna. I'm regular height. I'm brunette. And I'm sitting in front of a microphone trying to get up the nerve to do a podcast. This week we're reading Animorphs 27, The Exposed. The Exposed. Rachel dodges the advances of a teen named TT because neither of those initials stands for Tobias. While retail therapizing, Rachel and Cassie find Eric the chief. (laughs) Holy shit, I'm sorry. I just ruined your take. That's so good, No, this is the take. This is live. Rachel and Cassie find Eric the chief frozen and with his hologram malfunctioning. They hid him in a Spencer's gifts while they rally the gang to rescue. Upon returning him home, they discover that all the Chi have been frozen due to a signal sent from a deep space Pemalite ship. Most of the Chi are safely hidden away except for a janitor and a nuclear research facility, and time is ticking down to their discovery. Cue some antics involving morphing whales to capture a giant squid to have a morph capable of sustaining deep sea pressures. They access the ship and restore the Chi, only to learn of a servant of the Krayak called the Drode has been manipulating their actions to cause a confrontation with Visor 3 who is also at the ship. They fight and are not doing well when Eric appears and activates a Pimelite pacification program. All parties are healed and then ejected and the Pimelite ship is relocated. Brent. Yes. What do you think about this book? (laughs) I actually really enjoyed this book. Um, This is another ghostwritten one. Uh, And unlike the last ghostwritten one that we wrote, I thought this one had a lot that happened, even if it wasn't always satisfactorily coherent, but it was extremely well written. It had a lot of uh, uh, real natural and authentic feeling conversation between the the, the teens in the Animorphs. So The Exposed was written by uh, Laura Batyanyi Weiss. Under her own name, she writes less fantastical young adult fiction with some pretty heavy themes. Her latest novel is Me Since You. You can find her on Twitter at Laura Weiss. Uh, that's L-A-U-R-A-W-I-E-S-S, and we'll probably tag her in this post. And her webpage is laurawise.com. Yeah, I also enjoyed this book. I think it was really well-written, on par or above some of the KA books, but that's because some of the KA books are a little rough around the edges. But I thought this was actually really, really well-written. Yeah, I know people talk about the, the doldrums of the ghostwriters, but... At- if they continue on like this book sets up, uh, and, and they might, because the same author did book 31 and 39 as well. Um, if they continue on like this book is, uh, then if they're doldrums, it's entirely because of the outline rather than the writing. <laughs> and I, I mean, I will say this book has some... It, it doesn't always seem entirely focused. It, there's this whole section where they're trying to save one of the chi that isn't hidden away... And that chi is disguised as a homeless person in a, like, a house that is being used for drugs, like an abandoned house. And that whole sort of sidetrack didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the plot. It was just this weird sort of extravaganza of animals breaking shit, which is 
sort of the Animorph way, I guess. It does rack uh, one more onto Rachel's building fatality count. Oh it's my now god. Rachel 2 building 0. Yeah, they do some good property damage. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> But it's just like they do that and then they're like, well, we are not going to be able to save the one who's a janitor in the nuclear research facility. So we have to come up with a better plan. And it's like, okay, did, okay, but we just did that whole thing because you weren't going to do that. And now we have to, and it just felt, it just felt unnecessary in the whole purview of the book. What's really strange is that like the reason that they had to rescue this chi from the, the trap house was because the cops were all set to raid it, right? Yeah. Are you telling me that in the entire history of the Chi, none of them's ever been arrested? I think the concern was the hologram is down. Yeah, that's right. I kind of forgot about that. And I guess I guess part of what I'm confused about is whether or not the Yurks are aware that there are androids. Because if they don't know that the Chi even exists, that's a lot bigger concern. The impression that I got from the first book where Eric was introduced is that they do not know that the Chi exist because the Chi have successfully managed to infiltrate them. That's fair. Yeah, I guess if they were keeping an eye out, it wouldn't be such a big concern. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I, read the first half of this book before we recorded the Andalite Chronicles. So that is uh, the fact that the Chi couldn't move is a part I forgot. <laughs> yeah, the Chi are frozen and their holograms are disabled. So for, for some reason, I really envision the Chi is looking exactly like the Terminators. But with dog face? Yeah, which makes a lot of the scenes in this a lot funnier. Because at one point, they have to drag Eric into Spencer's gifts. Which is a fucking genius place to, to hide him. Yeah, if you're going to ha- hide an... It's a purloined letter, for sure. <laughs> just hide it <laughs> in plain sight. <laughs> that is very good. But I'm just picturing, like, the Terminator, but with a dog face. Yeah, dog face and little little paws for all of their... Mm-hmm. No, and, I, th- I think red eyes that glow. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Austrian accent, optional. But recommended. But yeah, so... It, 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 that whole expenditure just seemed... It, it's just that the, in the books previous to this point, we have very rarely had those sorts of side missions. Mm. And yeah, I mean, they, they have side missions, but they're usually at the start of the book. That's usually what opens the book out. The Forgotten was one big side mission. A lot of these have, a lot of the books recently have been one big side mission. (laughs) And as I have complained about previously. Okay, all right. I I still really liked the Space Jam. (laughs) Fuck, God. Yeah, also a lot of, a lot of the chi recently in these books. These have been very chi heavy books. I think the next one has chi in it as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, not quite as much as in this one, but I'm curious as to why other than the chi have a really good plot hook because then you don't have to have like weird prophetic dreams or like news reports that seem suspicious you can just have eric come up to them and say hey there's some shit going down so you think that like having the chi around as mission vending machines is the (laughs) the anamorphs equivalent of you all meet in a tavern yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. The Chi are the uh, post-board 
in a Skyrim-esque game that has an exclamation <laughs> point over it. That when you're tired of the main mission, you can go and ask them for something else to do. And they say, there's two chi hidden in the world. Go find them. Oh, uh, collect all 60 chi and get a chivo. <laughs> get a chi companion. Mm. That would be great, actually. I'd play that. It doesn't do anything, though. It's entirely cosmetic. Um, but yeah, I like the sequence in Spencer's Gifts. I like Cassie and Rachel trying to cover up for what's happening by pretending that it's... What did they pretend? It's like a... Some sort of robot butler or something. Yeah, some sort of kitchen instrument. <laughs> well, let's talk about that scene in Spencer's Gifts for a minute, though. Yeah, uh, there's a lot there. There really is. Like, Rachel has fucking credit cards? That's crazy Brent. She's 13. I can't believe that. When I was 13, I don't think I even had a checking account. No. No, certainly not access to a relatively unlimited cash flow. Like, if these books were set in the year of Our Lord Satan 2018, hmm. um, I would be like, well, okay, times have changed, I guess. But these are set in the late 90s. I know how 13-year-olds were in the late 90s. <laughs> and I don't think many of us had credit cards. So the here's an alternative that's a little bit of a downer. Rachel is the oldest daughter in a family going through a divorce. Maybe she has a credit card to pay for dinner when her mom can't make it home because she's working late. I would 100% believe that, but her mom in that case seems to put up with an awful lot of like clothes shopping at oh, the mall God, yeah. on, the, uh, on the dinner for your sister's card. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally 100% fair. But it does explain why Rachel is always at the mall. Because she has money. She can get stuff. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, I guess. Yeah. So that was pretty pretty bunkers. <laughs> well, then while, while they're there, Eric, which this is probably my favorite quote from any of these books so far, and I cannot think that there will be one that beats it out. Eric says... No offense, but how on earth have you people managed to avoid getting caught for this long? Which is a good fucking question, Eric. We've been asking that for, like, a lot of episodes now. Yeah, it's an extremely legitimate question. Because they end up getting Eric out of the Spencer's gift because Marco morphs a gorilla and just picks him up and carries him. And the rest of them get on a bus. It's just crazy. Well, so you had a thought. Um, about how they've managed to keep from getting caught this long involving the interview with the store what sales clerk sales clerk god yeah because because rachel and cassie are like yeah this is totally supposed to be here spencer's sales clerk whose name i assume is spencer <laughs> and and so they 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 sort of con him into leaving it there until a gorilla picks it up and then later they show a news report with spencer uh, of spencer's gifts yes and <laughs> and and he doesn't mention the fact that the android went missing he just talks about the gorilla and that seemed so suspicious to me i had i just assumed that they made spencer a york controller in order to cover up this alien activity i really enjoy the idea that the york empire has spent a non-zero amount of resources covering up the activities of the Animorphs because if the <laughs> Animorphs get caught by human society, the Yerks get caught by human society. 
Yeah, they both go down, and that's fine for the Animorphs, because if everybody learns about the Yurks, that's okay, but the right. opposite is not true. Right, that's their endgame. I think they have actually had a plan somewhat similar to that in the past, where they just yeah. demorph in front of someone important enough to... Uh, uh, to care yeah. and do something. Yeah. I like the idea that Visor 3 doesn't care, but that there's like a whole secret group in his organization that is in charge of covering up these sorts of tracks. So like Visor 3 is like, yeah, just release the, God, what was that creature? That alien creature that was hunting the morphing ability. The bullshit from Saturn? Yeah, the bullshit from Saturn. And he doesn't give a fuck if everyone sees it. But then there's a whole uh, Men in Black style team of controllers who sweep in after stuff has gone down and made a select number of people controllers in order to cover up the story. Right, because they get it, unlike Visser 3, and they know that you can never get in trouble for making another controller. Yeah, because that's the end game anyway. Exactly. So you, and Spencer of Spencer's Gifts probably doesn't seem like a high-priority target, but somebody's got to cover that shit up. Now, look, I, I think his last name is Gifts. His name is Spencer Gifts. Yeah, Spencer Gifts. Of Spencer's who, Gifts. Who incidentally works at a Spencer's Gifts. It's like, uh, like Bob Berger, who works at Bob's Burgers. Exactly. His last name is Berger. That's, that's what Teddy thought. <laughs> yeah. That's a good episode. Yeah. So... I, yeah, I think it's probably fair to assume that the Yurks are exerting a lot of energy covering Visor's 3's sloppy four-hooved tracks. <laughs> yeah, and his equally sloppy quote-unquote Andalite bandit opponents. Oh my god, yeah. And of course, the people who are covering it up know that they're humans, but you can't tell Visor 3 that. Let's jump back for a moment and talk about this thing with uh, Rachel and T.T., <laughs> that, uh, that is introduced briefly in, in chapter one, um, where she's practicing gymnastics. And it occurred to me, she's got to be real careful not to break a bone. Because the next time she morphs, it's healed. Yeah, that's so grim. That's a, that's <laughs> that's counts as fridge horror, I think. Because if she does, she's got to know that she just has to be like, oh, my, I know you can see the bone sticking out of my arm, but it's not broken. I just need to walk it off. Stakes are fucking high. That's pretty pretty fucking dark, Brent. But also, this TT guy must be, like, the most attractive 13-year-old kid in the entire universe, because <laughs> she is very tempted to say yes to him, even though he opens up with a real Marco tier line about <sighs> her falling for him when she falls off the balance beam. Yeah, it's really bad. You know, you know Tobias never uses lines like that. He's a classy hawk i think tobias mostly just mopes about how nice he is and <laughs> <laughs> although it, it is rachel strongly implies that she and tobias do go out on dates because there's a part where she's like tt wouldn't have to go into the bathroom and morph and back into a hawk every two hours when we went out on dates and i'm like oh that sounds like a thing that has happened, you and Tobias going out? Yeah, but then later on, when they're both underwater, the conversation they have sounds like they're still both dancing around the issue that they like each other. Well, so they are like 13-year-olds. They're probably, imagine me doing very large air quotes. <laughs> they're probably just hanging out. Yeah, all right, that's fair. But not, and not, not calling it what it is because they don't know what a date is yet and they're teens and everything's horrible. Sure, right. 
Although, since we're talking about TT, I do want to call attention. I, I thought this was accurate and terrible, but at the end, TT asks Rachel out again, and Rachel's like, um, again, no, fuck off. And T- it, it, it doesn't say it, but it strongly implies that TT called her a bitch for not going out with him. And I thought that was a, a, an interesting thing to include in these books, because, again, very accurate, but also they're like 13. 13 it sucks (laughs) i mean it could also have been one of a couple words that i won't say on the podcast they they just imply it's something extremely uh derogatory yeah i just assume for 13 year olds i'm flashing back to when i was a an early teen Mm -hmm. and uh rejecting dudes Mm -hmm. and that is what i would be most likely called yes makes sense yeah so fuck tt tobias forever Tobias, Tobias. Tobias doesn't need TTs. He's he's got one T, and that's enough. <laughs> also a cloaca. Also a cloaca. Thank you, Brent. What else? Let's move quickly along. Okay, so yeah, they um they they bulldoze this flop house with their heavy hitter animal morphs because they gotta they have to extract the chi, and they it, it's touch and go. Uh, Marco and Cassie both almost bleed out, I believe, before they manage to stash the dude in a junkyard. But it, it got me wondering if a host body being addicted to drugs or even just taking drugs affects the controlling yerk at all. Because they're wrapped around the brain. Hmm. So if it's something that affects like receptors in the brain, does that get the yerk high? Or does it just get the host mind high? That's a great question. So the like the only thing that we've gotten even close to drug use in these books is the ginger maple oatmeal. <laughs> and that's a that's kind of a weird case scenario because the human eating it is unaffected by any properties it might have other than normal nutrition. But the yerk must be absorbing something. So there's some sort of connection there. How long does it take for maple ginger instant oatmeal when you eat it to pass the blood-brain barrier? <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, this I we didn't even talk about it then cuz it it just never occurred to me, but you you raise an interesting question cuz there's there's no reason the yurks would be getting any sort of nutrients from the human body because they still have to go back to their nutrient pool and get their those good rays. So like what how what mechanic is happening that that makes them addicted to maple ginger oatmeal and would that apply to stuff that actually has like an effect on the brain? Yerks are extremely sensitive to insulin production. <laughs> Maybe yeah. <laughs> no, um yeah, it, it's I mean I it didn't occur to us at the time. Um, which, you know, what, whatever, let's move past that. It's a whole different book. <laughs> I don't think we'll see the return of maple ginger instant oatmeal since they sort of quietly filed that away. I think we'll see that again, but go uh, on. I don't know. I think the Animorphs decided it's unconscionable. They've decided that about a lot of things, Brent. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> and that, that's a, a line that shifts frequently. So Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um... But yeah, like things that actually, you know, chemically impact the brain that they're wrapped around and and in all that little crevice. Like, I don't know what mechanism they use to interface with it. Is it just electrical impulses or there chemical signals that can get 
messed up. If you get high enough on crank, can you take control of your body back from the yerk? Because it can't, like, fucking deal with the, the way that the synapses are firing anymore. These are things that will come out in the gritty reboot that we're all currently hoping K. Applegate produces, probably <laughs> in comic form. Maybe on the CW. God, that would be great. A CW reboot? It could happen. Yeah, I was thinking about this today, is that other than the the special effects budget um, and the animal handling budget, yeah, Animorph seems like directly the type of thing that the CW would produce. And special effects budget might not be such a big deal because, I mean, look at Legends of Tomorrow. They're obviously not afraid <laughs> to really skimp on the CGI. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet if the reboot books, the updated reboot books had sold better, that probably would have been in the works, but they didn't, so I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, well, let me just pitch this. Okay, yeah, go for it. In the gritty reboot, uh, cast Sean Astin as Chapman. That would be a good callback. Uh-huh. It would be real yeah. fun. That would be really, yeah, that'd be really fun. And then have him get high. <laughs> <laughs> That's an entirely different fanfic. Yeah, I, I, this feels like something we'll never get an answer to because these books are about war, not drugs. <laughs> uh, I said Sean Astin. That's not the correct person. Ashmore. Uh, hold on, I gotta look up Animorphs. We may have to just start this conversation over. No, I'm not gonna edit in a different name because you fucked up. Jenna, please. Sean, Sean Ashmore. Uh, Jenna, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do a clean take of saying Sean Ashmore's name. Okay, so I'm just going to throw this out. In the gritty reboot, cast Sean Ashmore as Chapman. Oh, what a good clean take of a thing that you definitely only said that one time. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know if we'll get... <laughs> If it's a CW reboot, that the drug content will get will be uh, Jangle from Riverdale. I haven't seen Riverdale. I haven't either, but I'm extremely online. I did like that the when they are talking about the chi that need to be rescued, uh, and Eric is like, "Yeah, we have a chi who's uh, currently posing as a homeless person, staking out this drug operation." And I think Jake is like, "Wow." They, a cheese living as a homeless person that kind of sounds like it sucks and Eric is like yeah I mean I have to be a high school student so you know we all have shitty jobs and it was a very funny moment uh it's weird I don't really understand what the point of the cheese staking out a drug operation is exactly but that's a fucking great question that I was so ready to breeze over but since you bring it up what are they doing? Are they... How much are they interacting with humanity and human lives? Because we have Eric saying all this shit about all the famous people that he's, like, served over the years. Okay, Eric. But, like... Uh, what? what how, why are they staking out drug operations? Like, what stake do they have in that? Now, watch it just be, like, a month since we read this book, and the reason that they're staking out the drug operation is because there's controllers involved? That could be. Yeah, actually. I like that idea. I'm starting to feel like maybe that was explicitly mentioned in Twitter's definitely going to tell us. I would be okay with them telling us that, because I don't... I think I would have made a note of that. 
if that were the case and I didn't. But who knows? We'll see. T- Twitter, tell us if that is wrong. Yes, please let us know if we just have forgotten because you insisted that we read the Antelite Chronicles. <laughs> um, there was some stuff in this book that I thought made did not make sense from a strategy standpoint. And I think they happened because we were trying to get characters to engage in interesting new ways. But like, there's this whole section where Rachel has Tobias cheat and tell her which straw is the short straw so that she can do a mission. And then Tobias takes the other short straw so that he can do the mission with her, even though it's a bad choice because the mission is to get a beached whale's DNA. And if you're two humans... You can just do that. And if you're a human and a hawk, that fucking blows. Technically, it only fucking blows for the hawk because he got stuck in a barnacle. He got stuck. But also, like, if it's just Cassie and Rachel and they're walking up and they happen to touch a whale for a second and then walk away, that makes a lot more sense because Cassie's involved in animal shenanigans in her real human cover life. Yeah, that's true. So the fact that they had to jerry-rig this situation where Tobias comes in, and then they have to seagull dive bomb to knock him off once he gets stuck. Mm, And and Tom is throwing rocks at them, and let's not gloss over, Marco does shit on Chapman's head. (laughs) He does. They have to do, like, some Little Mermaid-esque distractions. Uh, It's just like that... I, I appreciate that Tobias and Rachel are going through a thing because Rachel got asked out. Okay, Tobias, fucking chill. But like, it was just so, it was so much more frustrating than usual. Can can you unpack for me a second the applicability of Little Mermaid-esque distractions? Because I didn't quite follow that 100%. <laughs> so at the end of The Little Mermaid, when Ursula the Sea Witch is in disguise and is marrying Eric, not Eric, Eric, the a whole bunch of seagulls and like starfish and seals and stuff bust in to break up the wedding okay because they're on the ship no i totally didn't remember that it's been ages since i've seen a disney film uh but yeah there's there's some seagull specific shenanigans that made me think of this book at the end of it (laughs) okay thank you is the connection thank you for explaining that to me i i appreciate the reference much more now It's just like, this This didn't have to be this complicated. You didn't need to draw straws. You could have just done the damn thing. Yeah, Rachel did just volunteer. I, it's just this weird moment because Jake is usually pretty good about being like, okay, you two do this. This is what needs to happen. And this was the perfect opportunity for him to say, Cassie and Rachel, you're the obvious choices. Just go do this. Yeah. Then instead we got this straw and straws bullshit. Oof. Do you wanna? Do you wanna talk about the drode? Because I don't, but we should. Um, let's talk about the. Let's talk about the giant squid first. Okay, was the giant squid necessary, or was it just a dope thing they wanted to put on the cover? That's my question. I think we have a, a somewhat of a disagreement about this because the way I understood it is that the the giant squid. And the sperm whale have survivable depth bands that overlap, but the giant squids is deeper. And when Tobias was the whale, he could echolocate the location of the ship, but could not physically get deep enough to hmm. get in. And also, it's got to be real difficult to tap the six on the keypad with your 
uh, whale flipper. <laughs> That's fair. I it just seems to me I don't know how long range echolocation is for sperm whales, but Same. it seems like if if you can echolocate something, it, you should be able to access it. So the fact that they had to go through this whole rigmarole about getting a squid. And bringing it to the surface, which is probably going to kill it if you haven't mangled it horribly in the battle anyway. And then getting it in a situation where everybody can acquire its DNA, which has got to be difficult. It's a giant fucking squid and you're at the very top of the ocean. Oh, don't don't worry about killing it or maiming it. Rachel definitely bites off one of its tentacles. Mm, man, yeah, and it does not have a, a lot to spare. I, I think, I think probably what you said about having to input a number is probably what it was. Even though they don't actually ever say that or apparently think about it in any way. No, but I think that's the thing that makes the most sense plot-wise. Even if I think that's a little, a little bit finicky, but okay. I am a little unsure because I don't like exactly know how this works do squids get the bends oh that's a good question do whales get the bends i don't i think whales have to release oxygen as they surface to avoid getting it i don't think we know enough about giant squids to know whether or not they do because we still don't know a lot about them because anytime a giant squid surfaces it dies shortly thereafter so that might be the answer to that question actually yeah maybe so I was just thinking because it 100% when it there is a pressure differential between the inside of that Pemolite ship and the bottom of the ocean. And I know it, it makes the like little survivable bubble for them, but then the Animorphs morph humans inside the little bubble. So if the bubble mm. has the pressure of outside so that it's survivable, what is even happening? It seems like for s- something that was a, such a big plot point in their yeah. strategy for getting down there, they pretty quickly discard it as soon as they're actually down there. Yeah, that's a good point. It didn't even really occur to me that that was an issue. But it is pretty, they are pretty explicit. Like, this is a bubble that's survivable for a squid. And so it would have to be a certain, yeah, it would have to be a certain sort of density. That's this, Brent, this is exactly the sort of fiddly, half-assed science bullshit I come to Fandalites to do with you every week. (laughs) Well, you know that it's going to look fiddly and half-assed to us because according to Axe, our human science is mostly wrong. And I don't even know most of our human science, so we're we're even further behind the curve than most. I think it consists primarily of drawing straws. <laughs> oh, yeah. The human scientific method. <laughs> yes, that's what I learned in school. <laughs> so easy to cheat. So speaking of the uh, giant squid situation... There is a thing that happens that I really wonder if we see it again or if it's just an editorial oversight, because it's the first time that we've seen them do this. When they're holding this, the giant squid at the top of the ocean, um, Tobias is holding like half of its legs and uh, arms and tentacles, and Rachel's holding the other half. And when it's time for her to acquire it, she demorphs, and then... She extends the acquiring phase so that Tobias will have a chance to demorph and acquire it. And this is the first indication, I think, that we've got that they can purposefully extend the sedative properties of acquiring an animal. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially because I feel like there have been other situations in which that would be useful. Mm-hmm. And they've always just sort of circulated so that while the rest of them are acquiring it, Tobias is demorphing and acts as demorphing as needed. I'm pretty sure that there is at least one mutant who has like literally just that as a superpower without even the acquiring and morphing bit. It's just a soothing. In Marvel, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Just like a sedative mutant? Yeah. So like pretty useful is, is all I'm saying. I mean, it, they get the squid without much panic other than Rachel feeling like she was getting buried alive in the depths. Yeah. That aside, though, totally easy and fine and legit. Huh. The the Pamelite ship is shaped like a little dog. <laughs> yeah, they specifically say Snoopy. <laughs> space dogs running all around space in a dog-shaped ship. It's so good. Do you think that they named their vessel the the Red Baron or the Sop with Camel? <laughs> I hope the Red Baron. I feel like K.A. would say the Red Baron. Well, she was sure not available to write this book, so. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, a Snoopy ship. That's so cute and silly. I, I really enjoy the Pamelite computer and its interactions with everybody. <laughs> it's just like, hello, friends. It's such a shame that there was violence ruining our good time. We'll need to have you leave now after we patch you up. Yeah, I like that their ship is like a dog park. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so great. It's a very good aesthetic. The Pemelites are the best aliens. I want the Pemelite yeah. Chronicles. Oh, I think that would be very boring. No, I, I think it would be exactly the sort of palette cleanser you need after a series as dark as Animorphs. That's true. It's a good palette cleanser. Yeah, just a little thing where they're flying around having a good time. I guess you could show them getting demolished by the Howlers, but that would be a downer. Maybe it's post the Animorph series and it's the Chi genetically engineering the Pemelites to come back and then living happily ever after. I don't know. They've, they've already got such good dogs, though. Now is it time to talk about the Drode? Yeah, all right, let's talk about the Drode. This is some more meddling alien bullshit, Brent. Uh, you know, the Drode just loves a bit of the old ultraviolence. It's just super weird that we have the Illimus doing the Illimus bullshit, and then we have Krayak, who we don't ever really get to engage with. Krayak is the Eye of Sauron. And then the Drode is... I don't know what the appropriate analogy for Lord of the Rings would be. Uh, the Drode is Mr. McSpitlick. <laughs> okay, yeah, that classic Lord of the Rings character. Yes, exactly. it. Okay, so, yeah, it's just like, okay, what is, is this necessary, though? Is this Drode? Do you, let me ask you this. Do you think the Drode is going to be in other books? Yes, 100% I do. Okay, do you... Do you know that because you looked that up yes. on the Wikipedia? I, I, I did cheat. I did I did look up the drone on Serapedia to see if there was art, and it did have a final appearance, so I know he is in at least one other book. Okay. Okay. Well, that's more justifiable then. It, if if there's a long game to the drone character, I'm more interested. Because in this book, it just kind of beaches a whale, shuts down the chi, and then offers Rachel a job if she <laughs> will kill Jake. Which... She's keeping it in her back pocket. She does not tell Jake about that. I get it. I get it. 
I mean, you gotta you gotta have options. You gotta see the long the long war for what it is. You know, the Drode, I'm pretty sure, based on his interaction with the Animorphs, just hosts a podcast about them. <laughs> because he starts off by telling them all about themselves and all of their flaws and I kind of wish that we'd remembered this character when we were trying to come up with names, because the Drode would have would have been a pretty good name for a, a podcast. I would have hated to have had to say the Drode. There's something about the the word the Drode that just lies so heavily on my tongue. Well, all right, that's fine. Maybe because it rides with Chode, <laughs> and I. <laughs> That uh, just makes me want it more, Jenna. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the drone. So the first hint that we get that the Elemist is not behind this whole manipulation is when they say that the sperm whale getting coincidentally beached uh, is not the Elemist style. And in what way is that not the Elemis style? Because the, the Elemis would have appeared to them and made a big old weird monologue about it first. Oh, except, yeah. Okay. You're right. The- ex- well, the the exception to that being those are the times that we know the Elemist has been involved. Mm. There is also a chance that the Elemist is just fucking shit up left and right without them knowing because he's flying under the radar. It does seem extremely likely that the Elemist would like show up and freeze time and make a big speech about how they don't interfere with <laughs> the affairs of less evolved species. Uh, but by the way, you probably want to acquire a sperm whale. And coincidentally, here's one. So do you want me to teleport you there? Because <laughs> that's not interfering. I just, you know, I'll do it. I was going to do it anyway. Yeah, the drone is like, we don't interfere with sentient creatures oh. <laughs> and that's like it, sh- it shut down the chi it was gonna self-destruct them they're self-aware 100 percent. yeah how are the chi not sentient okay the drode is it because they're a created race because that seems to be about 90 percent of the races in this universe he says that they're androids so they can't be but honestly i think that this has to be some sort of weird legalese in the pseudo truce between Krayak and the Elemists that they've been able to interpret in such a way as to allow them to do this without getting banhammered. <laughs> or maybe it's just because the Drode's a proxy, so the Drode gets a little more like leeway in terms of asking for forgiveness rather than permission. Sure, Krayak can always throw him under the bus if the Illumist calls him on it. Yeah, Krayak's got plausible deniability. Although I will... The Drode beaches a sperm whale, and the Yurks are there because it's a suspicious animal activity. I There's basically no way I see that sperm whale living. It's like, I feel like for sure the Yurks are going to kill it just in case it is an Andalite bandit. They're going to wait for Visor 3 to morph human and to walk down and to berate the sperm whale with thought speech a while. And then eventually Visor 3 is going to say, nothing to say, Andalite bandit. And then they'll just shoot it to death. You don't think the sperm whale was beached for more than two hours? Ah, I don't think it'll matter. Mm. I think Visor 3 will say, so you chose to live your life as a sperm whale instead of demorphing, Andalite bandit. Well, I'm going to morph something bigger than you and then eat you whole. (laughs) Yeah, but think about it. Wouldn't it be way easier for Visor 3 to do that if they pushed the sperm whale back out to sea first, where nobody could see him morphing into the bigger than a sperm whale thing and then swallowing it whole? 
Yeah, it's possible. I just don't think the sperm whale would survive it. Sperm whale on the belly of a Jonah. <laughs> and then Wizard 3 has to morph back into an Andalite, and that whole sperm whale just disappears into Z-space. <laughs> Z-space! <laughs> uh, is there anything else? Yeah, there's a few things, actually. Um, oh, wow. Okay, Brent. Yeah, no, I, got, I, I know. We're... We're quite a ways in. I, I still got a bunch of stuff I want to talk about, actually. Well, not a bunch. Like, right. th- three or four no, things. No, lay it on me. Okay. Let's do it. So, like, uh... Hmm. They mention explicitly that the Taxons have lobster claws, and that is a thing that I had missed up until this point. And we're, like, 20 books in. 27 books in. Yeah, we're, we're a lot of books in, and how did we miss that? I don't recall ever seeing that before. I don't recall reading that either, it, I always just thought they had little pointy needle, but also it, it's possible that when they describe the taxon and mention the lobster claws, I just sort of breezed over it because it's the eight. It, I'm sorry, it's the 27th plus time they've described what a taxon looks like. I, I think we must have both just breezed over it because we had a discussion literally last episode about how taxons even hold dracon beams with their little needle arms, and. Obviously, they hold them in their lobster claws. Is that obvious, though? Because that doesn't seem like it's far superior for shooting. Like, I can see you wedge it in there, and it can threaten. It can't, how, how is it pulling the trigger, though? Maybe it has, like, a side button. Realistically, the first time that anybody gets injured, all of your taxons are going to be dropping the dracon beams and converging on whoever got injured <laughs> to eat them. So they don't really need to fire it more than once tops right yeah it's true it's a symbolic they all have they all have prop dracon beams <laughs> oh my god yes exactly they're nerf dracons <laughs> what's next oh yeah okay me. right so um just just a couple things actually there uh when rachel is a sperm whale and sees the giant squid she is ready to fucking eat it and it is very difficult for her to get that under control. So I really uh, do not want to see Rachel in a taxon morph ever. Please, please. Do you think? Do you think she'd? She'd probably eat taxon. You, do you think Rachel would eat taxon? I think she, she were a taxon, and it were it were up there. I think she'd eat human if she were a taxon. Oh fuck! Yeah, I think you're probably you're I, probably right. I mean, I, I think if she hadn't been uh, in such a bad way. In her fight with this squid, she would have eaten it. Oof. That's true. She does get really close. Mm-hmm. And it's true for all of them in a lot of morphs, but it's this is a particularly high-stake incident. Uh, last thing that I wanted to talk about was that Axe ate a fucking snail with his hook. Mm. Shell and all. And, and now that we've read the Andalite Chronicles, we know that he's got a little mouth orifice... That he could have closed up. The shell did not taste good. But the snail part was fine. It's... It's... Axe nasty. He nasty. He nasty. He nasty. Remember, uh, remember this scene when we... When when you listen to the next episode. Okay. I know that was directed at the audience, not me, right? Yeah, absolutely. I will, I will forget immediately as I do with every single episode we record. No, that's fair. I know I said that I only had one more thing, but uh, just my last bit is that I bet it blew Cassie's mom's mind when she saw an elephant mace the cops with a skunk. Oh, shit. That was actually a natural point that I had, which is 
if I'm a yerk in the city trying to track down the Andalite bandits who often appear as exotic animals, I would probably definitely make Cassie's mom a controller. Oh, shit. Because she's she's the first person they always, always call when there's an exotic animal incident. Holy crap. So she would be a really good person to make a yerk. And also because she works at the garden. So if you're trying to keep an eye on weird animal bullshit, that's a good get. She's a controller. You've convinced me. She's she's probably a controller, yeah. It's more canon than canon. Cassie's mom is a controller. Yeah. That's it's dark as shit. It's not a good one. Extremely bleak. It's not good. Yeah. Her dad might be too, but I guess there's probably there's probably no reason to take them both if you don't need to. I mean, other than that nobody ever got in trouble for making another controller. Yeah, that's true. They'll just have to wait for Cassie's dad to see something, and then they'll snatch him up. <laughs> if you see something, say something and get dunked in the yerk pool. <laughs> okay, was there anything else? No, I think that'll be it for this week. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we've had a blast. I hope you have, too. If you've got anything to say about uh, this episode or any episode or Animorphs in general or us and how much you hate us or love us, whichever, uh, you can email us at fandalites at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at fandalites. You can hit us on Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com, or you can visit our website, www.fandalites.com, um, or our sister website, andalitetruth.org. It also has an email link. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our, our intro and outro. Uh, and next week we'll be doing book 28, the experiment. So until next time, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs>